You're listening to Rock Solid People, a podcast by Max King. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Welcome to another edition of Rock Solid People. This is a podcast where I, Max King, CEO of Ozcare Support, talk to interesting and innovative people in the NDIS space. And uh, today I'm very pleased to have to join me with, uh, to, so let me start that again. I'm very pleased to have joined me <laughs> just before I tell tell you her, her business name, which is a, a mouthful in itself. I'm getting all tongue twisted. But anyway, today I'm very pleased to have with me Fran Connolly from Fran Connolly Culture and Communications. Welcome to the podcast, Fran. Thank you, Max. And thanks for having me. Uh, look, uh, I'm excited about this one. I was asked the other day by one of my interviewers, interviewees, what what is the purpose of the podcast? And for me, uh, I've got a real interest in, I guess, entrepreneurship, in uh, in making a business successful, and in just reaching out to people that I think have something really interesting to say in the NDIS space. And it's not that you're just in the disability space, but that's obviously where you, you, you know, you, you've laid down the, the the line in the sand. But I, I'm really excited because I think you've got some really valuable things to say to anybody that's looking at any in any business, but particularly in the NDIS space, which is a challenging environment to operate in. So I'm excited about this, Fran, and, and, and thank you very much for taking the time. I know your time is valuable and I know you've got a lot of uh, really good stuff to unpick here. But before we get into that, You've mentioned that you're from Bondi, North Bondi girl. Oh, no, don't say that. Uh, No, no. So tell us about yourself and your background, Fran. Well, look, I think I spent the first five years of my life in North Bondi. So would you like to hear about the following 57 years or shall I just jump to where I am now? (laughs) Tell us about you now and how we've come to sit down here. Okay. Well, these days I'm a culture and communication specialist. I'm also a marketer, I'm a mum, I'm a hobby artist, I'm a wife, I'm a really crap karaoke singer, <laughs> I'm a whole heap of things. So look, you, I, I'm just going to catch, so you, you know, your background obviously, you know, mother, artist, marketer, and you've been talking to me about something that I feel really passionate about, which is culture. And for me... If you ask me what I'm most proud about about Ozcare support, and I'll tell you that's the culture that I feel like as we've created that enables a team, and we're up to about 70 people now at Ozcare support, but a team of 70 people, and they support 1,500 clients. But you ask those people that work for me and with me about what it is that we've done really well, and they'll tell you the culture of Ozcare support's awesome. So I guess, you know, tell me, you're the expert. What is culture? <laughs> How do we define it? Well, look, just to back up a little, whilst you're speaking, there's a wonderful quote from Simon Sinek that I love, which is, employees have to love the organisation before the customer ever will. And for me, I actually love working with organisations to help them improve their employee experience. I'm actually a marketer, as you know. I'm not an HR person. And I came at culture in a roundabout way because I wrote a book back in 2016 called How to Thrive Under the NDIS, and I'm living proof that anyone can write a book. But it was really just a marketing 101 because I could see that so many providers were going to really struggle to reinvent their business model in time. And a funny thing happens when you write a book, people start to ask you to come and speak. And I got the opportunity to speak to a lot of disability support workers in a very short amount of time, and I realised that 
a lot of organisations were ignoring the most important target market, which was their existing staff team. Because in disability, your client's going to feel what your employee feels. And a lot of organisations, particularly in New South Wales, really ran after the participants at the cost of their own people. And a lot of good people left the sector. And a lot of good people were burning out. So in my marketing uh, programs, I was saying, well, what do you think is the most important target market? And nobody ever got it. No one said the existing staff team. Yet here is a sector where demand far exceeds capacity to supply. I think we have to find another 83,000 more workers in the next three years, which is a 30% growth. So for me, it was a bit of a no-brainer that your existing staff team were your key target market. So I just started to apply, you know, basic customer experience journey mapping that, you know, a marketer would do and customer experience training. I applied those concepts to the employees and started to unpack it. And it's very much a a grassroots-driven approach because, I mean, one of your questions that you sent me beforehand was why has your business been created? Well, I basically rebranded from FC Marketing to this new long business name, Frank Connolly Culture and Communications. I can't even say it. (laughs) I rebranded so that I could really focus on building more supportive workplace environments where the employee feels heard and valued and respected because if you can get that right, then your client experience is going to be amazing because culture makes everything else work. I think your question originally when I started talking 10 minutes ago was how you define culture. Sorry, I ramble. I mean, it's simply how we do things around here and that's not my definition. If you unpack that, it's deeper than that because we all influence each other. You know, we're tribal beings. And if you take, you know, a potential employee who's a great values fit and you pop them into a culture that's actually not working, what's going to happen? Yeah. Well, they won't survive, will they? They won't last. Yeah, so uh, I think I answered your question. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You did mention the Simon Sinek quote. I, I came back originally to a, a Richard Branson one, which was, yeah, Branson said he looks after his employees and his employees look after the clients. That that's his concept, and and really that's kind of what I've tried to to, to be in in everything I do. I'm like, how do we look after those people that then have their job is to look after other people? So we look after the team, and but it is it is still fraught with difficulties. Even even you know even if we are we're constantly trying to manage you know how much do we give, how much do we take, where do we draw the line, what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. How do people know that we walk it and talk it? And, you know, how do, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still a challenge. I, and I think for me, it's something that's, I, I guess now that we're slightly bigger than a startup phase, like we're still a small business, you know, but how do, you know, we have the capacity and some of the other, some other contributing factors to enable us to really, I guess, spend some time on it. And that's something that I, I guess, you know, it is something. So when you say the transition to NDIS, a lot of companies are struggling with that. I, I can see why sometimes, because when a new scheme like the NDIS comes in, it's so pervasive and all-encompassing. And in fact, you know, you can see it. Disability Services Australia went into voluntary administration over the weekend or just at the tail end of last week. They didn't have a chance to really pivot their business model. They didn't have a chance to change it. They were still stuck on some bulk funding, block funding kind of methodologies. But I think it goes deeper than that. I think, as you said, they, they would have really struggled 
to have delivered services to the standard that people wanted, and they would have lost clients to other people that were doing it well. And I think that's the relationship that I want to just talk about here. So when you talk about you know that that relationship between your frontline employees and your customers, what is it that a company can do? What what is your sort of take on how people can enhance that relationship? Well, for me, disability is a local business, regardless of whether you operate in one geographic area or whether you're national. And I think that's a real paradigm shift for a lot of uh, certainly the traditional providers, because it's about thinking like a small business operator. And how many of those organisations have small business operators on their board? You know, they're very ready often to adopt a corporate model where you've got this really bizarre language and concepts. And a lot of that doesn't sit well with a frontline team. And in my experience, disability is a frontline business. It's that key relationship between your client and your frontline support worker is going to determine your long-term financial sustainability and every other layer in your business exists to support the quality and fit of that relationship, which is twisting things on their heads when you look at the old pre-NDIS funding model where the your long-term sustainability was determined by the strength of the relationship between the CEO and the funder. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so now it's between the frontline support worker and the client and everyone else is there just to ensure that that's working. Yeah. So you've got to get this alignment. And going back to what you were saying before, you know, at Oscare Support, you struggle with how to keep your culture alive. For me, it's about having a very visible intention around what are the values we say we stand for. So if you say you stand for respect, how do we show that to the people we work with? You know, do you turn up at a meeting on time? If you say you stand for compassion, how well do you actually do performance management? If you say you stand for integrity, how transparent are you around hiring and firing? These things have to be more than words. And you could overcomplicate and theorise and talk about culture to the cows come home. But until those values actually guide daily decisions on an intentional basis, you're not going to get the sort of alignment. And you're right, it makes it is a daily intention. You don't know whether you got it right. You'll never know if you got it right. But you wake up thinking, this is our lens. This is the criteria. So that's the way I approach it, which is very sort of vernacular, take the jargon out and let's see what will actually work. Oh, look, and I think just having what we just listened to those three examples that you just said there, which are fantastic. I think we are very, we, we deliver on all of those things, but I don't know that we've written it down. Do you know what I mean? So I think if you ask me, I'd say, yeah, we do all those. But, you know, have we written it down? Have we communicated it? Or do we understand what it means to everybody in, pervasively in the organization? And that's actually something we're going through at the moment. Uh, right. It's something that we we know we need to do. I, I would say of all of those three things, we do all of those things. But are they written down somewhere? No. And, in fact, we're going through um, certification for, for B Corp. We're trying to get B Corp certified, which I think would be awesome. Having said that, it's really a challenge when you go through the – 
about, it feels like about 5,000 questions that they ask you, but it's probably not that many. Uh, but they talk about like things that I just even didn't even think about, you know, have we looked at our supply chain and, and, and the environmental impact of our supply chain to people and, you know, things like that, which are great. That's taking it to another degree, I think, another level. But, you know, just what you said there, exactly, you know, respect well, and integrity are important. I work with typically nonprofit organisations all the time. Just uh, I run programs and workshops now online just with really basic exercises that bring those things top of mind. You, you're right, you do need to write them down. You do need to enshrine them, but you also need to live them. Yeah. So, yeah, start every meeting with a value story. You know, people bring those stories to the meeting and, you know, you don't have to set people up for failure. Give them a heads up. You know, Cynthia, next week you're bringing the story and you're going to share it, share something you noticed and actually catch people out doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, we, we overcomplicate culture all the time and I take it back to flip charts and drawing and exercises and it's not dumbing it down. It's making it actually accessible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what's easy and what's fun is what people will enjoy doing and it will create a different energy in the workplace. And uh, it is one of the questions that I've got on later, but since you've mentioned, I will ask you, the programs that you're organizing now, because I know that we had looked to just bespoke one for us, but you've mentioned now that they're online. What what are the... the, the Well, look, they're not online yet. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm running now, I've got a, a program called the Bring the Brand Alive program and it's called that on the basis that we're all living breathing representatives of our brand a brand is not a logo a brand is is underpinned by values so when you talk to me one of the values I say I stand for is clarity you should come away with a clear idea of every touch point has to communicate a value so anyway first stage of that program is a culture discovery session and that's done remotely I'm working with two or three different organisations right now and I interview people one-on-one from across their businesses and I then prepare a culture assessment report. And that's not meant to replace a staff engagement survey. It just provides a lot of really rich, deep insights yep. into what's working, what's not working and what's possible if we actually did live the values. So that's one thing I'm doing remotely. The second stage of that is typically face-to-face program, but with COVID, that's been postponed now. And the third stage is a culture action plan. So what I've done, and I'd actually love your feedback and that of your listeners, I've taken the best exercises from my culture program and turned it into two one-and-a-half-hour online training sessions. And it's called, I think I'm calling it Essentials of Workplace Culture or Culture Fundamentals, Something like that. Yep, so I basically cannibalise my best face-to-face exercises and I'm thinking of doing a just a small group online training, you know, no more than 10 people at a time yep. so that people get to actually experience the exercises in breakout sessions and come back and feed off each other and say what worked, what didn't work because these uh, activities I've sort of developed in collaboration with my clients over the years and, I've had some lovely feedback. I did run a prototype. I was presenting at an aged care conference just at the end of last month and they're the ones who said, would you do an online version of your workshop? And I said, oh, no, I can't do that. And I thought, hang on, you know, let's look at this again. So it went down really well. Awesome. I had 10 aged care providers and I got 
great feedback. That was a three and a half hour session, but I'm figuring that two, one and a half more digestible. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But I'm really clear that I want to keep it a small group learning so that they or people get the energy from each other and they get they get to share ideas and anyway, so yeah. And so when, are they, when, when I'll ask you because I'm keen to sign up myself and I'm not just saying this to so the listeners, I'm, I'm genuinely keen, bringing the brand alive and, and the other ones. What, what, when are the next, are they, are they running every fortnight, every month? What's, what's your next, when's well, the next one? <laughs> well, the Bring the Brand Alive program, the, the core one, is um, that's sort of a bespoke. I do it in-house one organisation at a time. Okay. And that's sort of, I've got a few organisations now my, my next start date is November for that. Okay. But the online uh, essentials program, I haven't launched yet, and I'm thinking that I might launch it in September and see if there's much interest out there. I mean, I pre- prefer to go out to my you know followers and say, what do you think? Is it a good idea? Isn't it a good idea? Are you interested? Well, I have to say from my perspective, I think it's a great idea and I'd love to to get involved in that. And that's okay. only- uh, only because, as I say, we feel, or I feel, as a as, as you know, as someone that's that, that is really proud of the culture that we've got, I feel like we could still be better. We could still be better at what we're doing, and and that's probably as much as anything, just isolating what are the core points and communicating them back to the team. And the team here, we communicate lots of things about culture on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, but I still think that's important. And I guess you know uh, that leads us on to sort of what what is it you know. If you're looking to thrive in the NDIS, I've asked you for a top three tips. That may be a bit of a, a bit of an ask, but you know, if you're if you're starting off, and I, actually, we get a lot of people coming to us saying, "Look," and I got an email just before we jumped on this. Just starting up, I want to get some more clients, and and I, you know, I feel I feel very positive for those people. But what what's your top three tips for for thriving? Well, look, now that I even see the title of my first book, I cringe. <laughs> Because I picked that title when the reform was still in trial site phase, you know, when we still, it, when it was a very different animal than it is actually rolled out. And, but I, yeah, this is, maybe you should cut that out of the interview, but to be positive, I think it's, um, if I was, whether it was a, a private provider or a non-profit provider, I would say, number one, see your organisation as a business that's a local business and whatever territories you're working in, be clear on who are the key local community stakeholders. It's about community engagement, being successful in this business. And the second thing, or really part of that, is decentralise your decision-making and really empower your front line as much as possible. And uh, uh, one of the organizations I interviewed for one of my books was the cooperative life and what I love about their model is that they actually teach all their team members about financial literacy you know so that and and they really have a a fabulous scalable model around empowerment and back to decentralized decision making and so yeah the other tip of course is lose the layers The, the more layers between your front line and your CEO the more at risk you will be the next thing is embed storytelling. Yeah. This is about visible leadership. So you know how, Max, how you're out there saying, this is the culture I want to build, this is why I want to build it, this is our mission, this is where we're heading. People need leadership. 
and they need empathetic leadership, that whole servant leader model, not the authoritarian, this is what we're doing model, yeah. but leaders who actually know how to listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that listening for what's happening at the front line will determine your success in this market. And finally, just recognise that your culture is what's going to make everything else work. I love it. And uh, I can say, if, if any of you are listening, I will be there at that uh, online culture and communication uh, for the first one. I, I will definitely sign up for that. And uh, look, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your advice. For those of you who are starting out in this journey in Dandias, get into it for the right reasons and as uh, listen to this podcast and, and, and take some of the take some away that gold that's in there. You know, I think there's some tips there that really can set you apart. Thank you very much, Frank Connolly. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Rock Solid People. For more interviews, stay tuned.